How is it that religion can be part of the solution to the environmental crisis? Well, when you think about what religion really is, forget the bad name it's gotten, forget the way that religion's been co-opted by things that aren't religion, it's been co-opted by power, it's been co-opted by politics, it's been co-opted by economics. But forget that, because that's not actually religion. That's people who want power, people who want money, people who want all sorts of things using religion to convince other people to do things for them. So for example, if I want to be the king of a much bigger part of land, much bigger piece of land, and I say to people, go out there and risk your life so I can be in charge of a bigger piece of land. Very few people are going to do that. I mean, you've got to have people really devoted to you or really scared to be prepared to risk their lives so I can be the head of a bigger piece of land. But if I say to you, God wants you to do it. It's not the land. You're, you're, you're fighting for God. And even if you lose your life, you're going to God. God will reward you. So it's not about God. It's not about religion. God has been instrumentalized, exactly, to sell our agenda. So if we leave that aside and we talk about religion at the purity of what it really is, which is a way for people to connect to God, a way to understand our world, a set of tenets and beliefs and ideas about the universe and about our relationship with the universe and a set of practices that brings meaning to our life, connection, fulfillment. If we look at religion as that, which is really what it is at its core, it's the full solution to the environmental crisis. And it's important here to realize that I'm going to interchange religion and spirituality because they really are, at the pure level, one and the same. The only reason that today you have so many people who say things like, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, is because religion's gotten a bad name because religion has been co-opted. And so when people say that, what they mean is, I believe in God, maybe not by your name or form, but I, I believe in this divine presence. But no, I'm not going to sit in your box. I'm not going to be 
suffocated. I'm not going to be boxed up and wrapped up. I'm not going to fight to kill other people who aren't in our box. So that's, that's what people mean typically when they say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. So in an ideal world, they really overlap. And when we're talking about the environmental crisis, religion, spirituality, are the answer. And they're the answer because the alternative, in most cases, is pretty much what for me. That's how most of us live. What for me? How can I be the top of my class? How can I be the one who scores the most goals in the soccer game? How can I be the one who's the valedictorian of my class? Then, of course, how can I get the best job? How can I make the most money? How can I become the president or the CEO of the company? It's, it's all for me. How can I get the car I want? Today I was at a, a function in Delhi for Earth Day and in honor of a, a very, very divine and beautiful saint who's no longer alive. But before the function began, they had, or before the part of the religious leaders speaking, they had this beautiful drama done by school children. They were, will you stand up? Will you stand? Stand. Yeah. Okay. They were all just about his size. How old are you? Seven. Seven. Great. You can sit down. Thank you. So they were all just right about his age, and they did this wonderful drama about the earth in 1970 which to them, of course, seemed like it was, you know, it might, it might as well have been, you know, 1790 for all they were concerned. And the earth today and the earth of 2025 and what we're doing to the earth and their, their bottom line in this wonderful, wonderful skit was all about development. And they had the guy who was the Earth of 2018 with his cool sunglasses and his cool mobile. And he was talking about how everybody today has all these great things and we're really enjoying our lives and we can buy so much and drive our fast cars and big buildings. And, and of course, the boy who was the Earth of 1970 was much more um, without the cool sunglasses, without the cool mobile, and you know the boy representing the the good old days, which for me was really funny because I'm 1971 born, and it was the first time that I've been so categorized as like the old days. So that, but that's a different a different story. But it was interesting nonetheless, and. The whole gist of the story was how in the name of development, in the name of getting what we want, having fun, buying my things, we're destroying the earth. And it was actually a very, very well done production. Usually at events like this, the programs that the kids put on are not quite so well done. This one was really, really well done. And I bring it up here because 
That is what's happening. We speak about a global water shortage. We speak about a global food shortage. We have tens of thousands of children who are dying every day. Every day of hunger. Forget those who are dying due to lack of water. Forget those who are dying due to malaria or so many other illnesses. Just due to hunger. Tens of thousands of children every day. But we actually produce enough food to feed 10 billion people. But the food is being cycled into the cows and the pigs and the chickens who become our hamburgers and hot dogs and chicken McNuggets. We talk about a global water shortage. But the truth is we actually, if we changed our practices, there would be enough water. The problem is that our practices, again, of what we eat, how we shop, what we buy, how we live, this more, 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 me, me, me mentality is driving us to kill the earth. Everything we buy is produced somewhere. Things don't magically appear in thin air whether it's the clothing we wear, whether it's the cars we drive, whether it's the mobiles we use, every single thing that we use was produced somewhere. Somebody made it. There was some waste produced from it. Something had to be done with that waste. And as our, as our world is being driven more and more by the more, more, more for cheaper, cheaper, cheaper because I want to save my money, buy as much as I can for as little money as possible, we have a whole model that's rooted on how many corners we can cut. So you have sweatshops. You have women and children who are working in hazardous, horrendous, toxic conditions, dangerous conditions, 18, 20 hours a day. You have crops full of cotton being sprayed with God knows what kind of chemicals that are giving cancer to the cotton pickers and their birth defects to their children, that are sickening the people who drink the water, that flows through the river downstream. Because here's a secret about life. Whatever you drop on the ground is going to end up in your river. That's just, it's the nature of how gravity works. It's the nature of how life, how the planet works. Whatever gets into our soil is going to end up in our water. Gets in our groundwater. And eventually it gets into our water supply or into the rivers that are irrigating our, our crops. And so as we're driven for more, 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 we're polluting our soil, we're polluting our air, we're polluting our water, and we're depriving the humans with whom we share this earth, the human beings with whom we share this planet of water, of food, Forget what we're doing to all the other species. The statistics are terrifying of how many species, just since last Earth Day, in the last year, how many species have gone extinct?
The Amazon rainforest is being deforested at a rate of about an acre a minute. Sorry, a second. A second. An acre a second. A little bit more even. It's the size of a football field. So however many acres a football field is per second, the Amazon is being cut down. Well, the Amazon produces 20% of the oxygen for the world. It absorbs about 20% of the world's carbon dioxide, and it holds about 20% of the world's water. What's it being cut down for? Beef. Beef. Hamburgers. So we circle back to the question of what's the role that religion can play. Well, there's two aspects. One is more superficial, one is deeper. On the superficial level, we look to our religion for our tenets of how to live. So our religion hands us, here's your Ten Commandments. Here's the rules of life. Here's what we do. Here's what's pop and punya, wrong and right. This is what our religion hands us. So many things we do that our children ask us, why do we do them? And particularly in India, and we say, I don't know, but this is just, it's what we do. It's our culture, it's our dharma. It's what we do. So religion has that role to play to teach us that what we do is we live for the planet. We focus, as Puja Swamiji says so beautifully, not on what for me, but what, uh, on what through me. How can I be a vessel for the divine to flow through me? We perform this beautiful yagna every night on the banks of Ganga. The message of the yagna with all the mantras is idamnamam, idamnamam. The mantras end with that term, idamnamam. Not for me, but for you. Not for me, but for you. It's not about what for me. So that's one thing religion does that's very, very important. On a deeper level, though, religion and spirituality connects us with our true fullness. Why do we need shopping therapy? Right? The number of people, the percentage of items that are purchased not because we need them, but simply because we decided to go for shopping. Well, what are you going to buy? I don't know. I'll go. I'll see what's there. Well, on a, on a rational level, that makes no sense. I mean, if you really pull that apart, I'm going shopping. For what? I don't know. Well, then why go shopping? I mean, if you don't need something... Why would you go? But we go because, not because my toes are poking through my shoes and so I need a new pair, but we go because we're bored. We go because we're depressed. We go because we're anxious. We go for a hundred reasons other than because we need something. And in that shopping therapy, that very, very temporary high we get with a new pair of shoes or new handbags or new clothing. The high is very short, but the ripple 
And the earth is very far, very long. And so when we're connected spiritually, we don't find ourselves going for shopping therapy. You don't see a lot of the saints and the sages walking into department stores, kind of roaming around, thinking, Acha, what should I buy today? Chalo, let's go for shopping. Never once, I've been here 22 years, never once have I heard Puja Swamiji or any of the other saints say to each other, Acha, I know what we should do today. Let's go shopping. Let's go to the mall. Even just to see what it's like, never. Because they're full. They're full inside. There's not a sense of, I need something to fill me. And so this, this drive to constantly have more is rooted in a sense of emptiness inside. I'm filling a hole that tragically cannot be filled with a pair of new shoes. But I'm not aware of that, and so I keep doing it. Not only do I not help myself, but I'm harming the earth. And so if we dedicated as much time to our spiritual practices as we did to our shopping therapy, we would be much better off because at the end of the day, we would actually have a happiness that lasted. And the earth would be much better off. So spirituality or religion is, in my mind, absolutely the key. But the last point I want to mention on this is, it's not the only key. Because you don't have to be religious. You don't even have to be spiritual in order to save the earth or make decisions to save the earth. You simply have to care about anything. It doesn't matter what you care about, as long as it's alive. You have to care about something alive. A person, an animal, your unborn grandchildren, If you care about anything that is alive today or is going to be alive in the future, making decisions and choices to save the earth is the only answer. If you knew, if you knew that your home was filled with asbestos, or you knew that your home was built on top of some toxic gas leak, and you were pregnant, or your daughter were pregnant, or your daughter-in-law were pregnant, you'd let a child be born in that home? You'd continue to live in that home? Of course not. You would do whatever you could do to get the asbestos out, to get this toxic gas plugged up, and if you couldn't, if you couldn't fix it, you'd move. You wouldn't continue to live there because you would know I have to protect myself, I have to protect my family. And that's what's happening on earth. It's becoming literally toxic. The air in Delhi is toxic. 
The soil in so many places is toxic. The water in so many places is toxic. And sadly, what we're seeing is people now doing research on it. Well, okay, on Mars, what can we grow on Mars? I mean, the amount of money that is being poured right now into research on what can be grown on Mars, how people could possibly live on Mars. I don't know the dollar amount, but it's huge. But there's no need to give up on this planet yet. If we took all of that energy that we were spending on figuring out how we can, you know, grow potatoes on Mars and figured out how to protect our own planet, we'd be able to do it. We have, there's a lot left. We're not yet over the tipping point. There's a lot that can still be saved. But it requires all of us to make a decision that's not about what for me, but that understands this is a family. No one would sit down at a table with their family members and grab the entire plate of chapatis that your mom put on the table. I mean, can you even imagine? Six people sitting at a table, eight people sitting at a table, a big stack of chapatis. One person reaches over, grabs the whole stack of them. Mother, we can't even think about it. You take one, then everybody else takes one, then, you know, this is how, how we live, it's how we eat. If we understand that much about our own dining table, we have to understand it about our world because our world functions the exact same way. There's a beautiful saying that says, the frog does not drink up the well in which it lives. And that's what we're doing. And so whether it's religion, whether it's spirituality, whether it's just caring about anything in the world, the earth is ours to care for, to protect, and to preserve. For us, the earth lived through the ice age. She'll live again. Whether we call it the fire age, whatever the next age may be, the water age, the ocean age, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. The earth will live. She doesn't need a fine balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide. She doesn't need a certain temperature. She doesn't need a certain amount of fresh water. We need it. So it's us we're protecting, us we're preserving. And that choice is up to us. <laughs>